This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Morning in America's Nick Smith, and I'm so happy you're joining me for this edition of In the Mix. Here at News Nation, we cover a lot of news, but there are always a few stories that I think need a little more attention. And you know me, I always have more thoughts than we actually have time for on Morning in America. So here is where I share those with you, as well as extra content that didn't make the cut during our live show. So welcome to In the Mix with Nick Smith. Once again, it is warm outside in Chicago, but not too warm. We're actually having an opportunity to enjoy the weather and not sweat like crazy when we walk outside, but not freeze to death either. I personally think, you know, that the September, October timeframe is literally the best time of the year to be in the city of Chicago. Um, and it's because of that, I think a lot of it has to do with why we have all been so like chipper and happy in the newsroom. There's been a lot of things happening, uh, but we've all just had an opportunity to uh, kind of share and reflect this week, and it's just been a lot of fun. And I do believe that the weather plays a large role in the energy uh, that people walk into the newsroom with, uh, particularly if it's feeling good outside. When they walk outside, they feel even better that the day is over. But one of the things that continues to make me feel good every time that I'm walking in and out of here is because I get a chance to think about some of the stories that I think might be great for In the Mix this week. And one of them, believe it or not, was a story that I said, oh, this actually deals with addiction, but I think it's a positive story and I want to share it. And that's uh, the uh, Food and Drug Administration approving the selling of Narcan over the counter. Well, Nick, why is that a good news story? I'm like, I felt like it was great to share because um, I, too, was torn about whether or not I thought Narcan over the counter was even something I'd be remotely interested in until I spoke with Dr. Kristen England. Uh, now, she talked about why it's important that the uh, expanded availability of this drug is so important to so many people and why it's just such a great thing to have and why everyone, she says, should be carrying Narcan. Well, starting today, millions of Americans will be able to buy the overdose antidote Narcan without a prescription. It's the first time the life-saving drug is available over the counter. It's less than 50 bucks, not exactly cheap, but advocates of Narcan say that's a small price to pay for increased access. But some critics argue that price point could place the life-saving drug out of reach for those who may need it most. More than 100,000 Americans lost their lives to the opioid epidemic in the past year alone. People like Hassan, who died after a drug overdose. His mom, Carolyn, shattered by the loss. Families are being hurt. 
Mothers crying about their children. I'm devastated about my son. Illicit drugs like fentanyl continue to flood the streets in cities across the country. It literally can save someone's life in a matter of minutes. But now, a game changer, with the first opioid overdose treatment being sold without a prescription, putting a life-saving drug in the hands of many. Having access and having more people have access, naloxone will help save lives. At less than $45, Narcan can be bought online and in drugstores. Customers may have to pay out of pocket. That's because insurance companies don't usually cover the cost of over-the-counter drugs. But some insurers, such as Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and other Medicare and Medicaid programs, say they will continue covering Narcan. The so-called public interest price is lower, $41 for first responders, local governments, and harm reduction organizations that offer treatment for free. And joining me to talk more about this is infectious disease specialist at the Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Kristen England. Dr. England, good morning. Good morning. You know, Dr. England, I had an opportunity to research and report on this story about the over-the-counter availability of Narcan in this nasal form. It sounds exciting to me as a layperson who has seen this problem firsthand in cities like San Francisco, but I want to know from a professional, what are your thoughts on Narcan being sold over-the-counter? Do you think this will be a game-changer that everyone is hoping for, or is this a problem? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Oh, I think the over-the-counter uh, availability of Narcan is an absolute lifesaver. I think for many years, it's been uh, a, a barrier for people to either need to get a prescription, go to their physician and get a prescription, um, take it to a pharmacy, um, maybe be afraid that they're going to be judged for their need for getting Narcan. So any way that we can get this to the people in need is important. I've carried Narcan um, in my purse. For the last six years, um, I sent my kids off to college with doses of Narcan in case somebody in their dorms had an overdose. It's so important. You can save a life uh, with minimal training. Uh, and it is so important that we get this word out. It needs to be cost effective, but there are also programs in many areas where you can get it for free. Project Dawn here in Ohio offers free training and free doses of Narcan. And I checked in in the Chicago area, you can get doses of Narcan at the public libraries. More and more places are offering that. So please check in your local area to find where you can get free doses of Narcan. Dr. England, I have to tell you, the minute you told me that you were carrying it around in your purse, I jumped back a little bit. I'm like, what is she doing carrying it around in her purse? Is this because the idea is that any one of us at any time could chance upon someone in need of medical assistance? Or are you saying that this is something that, um, Nick, I keep in my bag because I also want to let people know how easy and effective it can be used? I think it's important for 
Everyone to carry it around. My boss here at the clinic tells me that the two things he carries around in his car is a tourniquet and Narcan, because those are the two things that anybody with minimal training can learn how to save a life. So absolutely, why not have it around? I have no idea who I'm going to run across in a grocery store or any place else that might have a, a critical moment where they need to be saved. If you give somebody Narcan and they're not having an opioid overdose, you're not going to hurt them. You mm. can't hurt them. The only thing you can do is save a life if somebody is having an opioid overdose. And I wasn't joking with that. Not joking at all. I have every intention on adding that to my emergency kit. You know, one of the benefits that I have working in television news is that we all are um, encouraged to carry a first aid kit of some kind and an emergency kit for on the go. Should we uh, be called up for breaking news, we need to be ready to go and ready to roll. Um, and more often than not, we're sometimes in different communities where um, access to simple things like Band-Aids or something like that could be difficult. So uh, having an opportunity to work for an employer who will allow and support and even encourage me to uh, keep that as part of my emergency tool uh, on my in my emergency tool belt or tool kit um, is a great thing. So I plan to take advantage of that in keeping some of the Narcan that is available over the counter in my first aid kit. We were talking also uh, this week about the uh, influx of migrants um, that continue uh, to flood mostly the southern borders, but now um, because so many of the governors in the southern states of Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, uh, they're busing many of these migrants to uh, other areas, you know, and um, some of those areas include uh, Chicago, D.C., Philadelphia, uh, New York City. And due to the influx of migrants in New York City, Mayor Eric Adams has pushed the idea of prioritizing work visas for asylum seekers. Now, to me, that totally makes sense, right? Why would you not want the people who are in the community working and paying into the tax base? Well, that's why it's important that we continue to research and dig into stories. Um, Joan Ariola, who is a New York City councilwoman, was a guest on the show, and she and I talked about this. I said, you know, councilwoman, it sounds like to me it makes perfect sense to prioritize uh, these asylum seekers who are now flooding New York City streets. We're seeing it on the news. We've talked about it here where people are sleeping out and you're having uh, difficulty housing uh, them and, and caring for them. Many uh, saying, I don't want that. I just want to work for myself. Allow me to work. So why would it be a bad idea to expedite the visa program, allowing them to work? Uh, she was gracious. She was great. And she was pointed. And she shared with me why, Nick, this is not the best idea. Now a bipartisan group of New York City Council members are sounding the alarm that expedited visas could incentivize more migrants to head to the city. Here to further discuss is Joan Ariola, a New York City Councilwoman and member of the Common Sense Caucus. Good morning, Councilwoman. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. Councilwoman, I know as a representative of the people, you would love to have the streets cleared and people working legally in the city of New York and paying into the tax base, but you're saying slow down a bit uh, because this solution being proposed by the mayor is not the correct step forward. Why is that? Well, let's just think about all the people who were online for 10 and 12 years waiting to get their work authorizations who came to this country the right way 
through sponsorship, through asylum, and all through the right channels, who are now being pushed back for five or 10 years so that the asylum seekers and illegal migrants that have arrived can be fast-tracked. And that's just unfair. Councilwoman, would it be better then if everyone were expedited? Is that the problem or is it the uh, look of it possibly jumping in line for those who are newly arrived to the city? It's 100% the look of jumping in line because it is jumping the line. And that will incentivize others to jump the line. And that's unfair. We've had people who've come here Tens of thousands of people who are waiting, going through the right channel, spending thousands and thousands of dollars on legal fees. We work with CUNY Citizenship now. And what we're seeing is people who have been almost to the point of receiving their working visas, a green card, or their citizenship are being pushed back at the very, at the very least five years before they get that status. And it's completely unfair. And it will just cause the migrant crisis to increase. Now, we have asylum seekers and then we have illegal migrants. We haven't even differentiated between the two. Instead of expediting work permits and work authorization, the Biden, uh, the Biden administration should be expediting judges to see these cases, see who's an asylum seeker, see who needs to be deported and who's here illegally. And in a recent statement by the Common Sense Caucus, it reads that expediting work authorizations would essentially allow migrants to, quote, Cut the line. How so if there are several other pathways to citizenship uh, that do the same thing? The path to citizenship has always been one where you come to this country, you're sponsored by a family member, or you are seeking, truly are seeking asylum. We don't have any idea the real status of the amount, because of the amount of people who are coming in daily. With 3,000 people arriving on a weekly basis claiming asylum, how many can we really say are asylum seekers or are they here entering our borders illegally because our borders are not secure? There are people coming from other countries into Mexico just so that they can claim asylum, come into our country, and get pushed ahead for working visas. It's just not fair to those who did it the right way. And there has been a public outcry from that particular population. Thus, the formation of this nonpartisan caucus. Yes, absolutely. It's a nonpartisan caucus where six Republicans and, and two Democrats, we have uh, the chair is uh, Joe Borelli and, and Bob Holden, it's a bipartisan chairmanship. And we try to look at it at a common sense approach and also take into consideration the fact that we have all come here from other countries and my ancestors as well as everyone else's, but they did it the right way and they didn't cut the line. And that's what this is. And what it's going to do is promote more illegal migrants to come into our country seeking asylum or claiming to seek asylum without having any type of background in the country that they're coming from, their country of origin, or the fact that they had to seek asylum from that, that country. Council There's too many people at one time. Everything that you're saying to me sounds like it makes perfect sense. I have to believe you've had this conversation also then with the mayor's administration. What has the response been? We have had multiple conversations with the mayor's administration regarding this. And honestly, you know, they don't disagree. They've just been handed such a tremendous job to do. And I think that they are at this point the victims of their own success on this because they have been giving shelter and they have been giving uh, medical care and they have been giving um, um, education to students and such. But it just has to stop because we don't see an end date. When is the end date? When does it stop? 
And that you know is the question a lot of people are asking, particularly those who live along those cities in the border states. Joan Ariola, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for the invitation. So simple, so matter of fact, when she broke it down. Yeah, you can't have people jumping the line. I'm thinking because of the emergency situation and the crisis that this presented, it hadn't even occurred to me that, yeah, expediting their visas, Nick, completely negates others. That's why it's so good to be uh, part of a newscast that allows us to really just dig into things and get all the information that we can to have every voice represented. The voices also being represented are some of those who are still struggling to recover um, after Hurricane Adalia ripped through uh, Florida's natural coast, uh, including the town of Horseshoe Beach. Now, I wasn't familiar with it either until I spoke with a guy named Brit, Brent Woodard. Uh, now, Brent Woodard is the owner of a place called Real Native Fishing Charters. Well, what is that? Well, he, he, he makes his living on tourists coming to town wanting to go out on the fishing boats and and take their families out and bring in these huge casts, uh, catch a fish and and have a great time doing that. But it's hard to do when a hurricane has come through, decimated the community and destroyed the infrastructure around your business. So he's like, hey, yeah, we understand that people may not want to come to the area right now because it has been decimated. But I'm telling you, we need people to come to the area right now because it has been decimated. And Nick, when people come, when tourists come, they actually help us fend for ourselves, support ourselves and get things back up and running again. And I was serious when I had this conversation with him and a promise I made to him when we talked about the situation at his store. Real Native Fishing Charters in Horseshoe Beach, Florida. Well, a new report found that private market insured losses from Hurricane Adalia are set to be somewhere, get this, between three and five billion dollars. The numbers are estimates of losses caused by winds, storm surges and precipitation. The report was released Monday by the catastrophe risk model business of Moody's. Hurricane Adalia hit the Big Bend region of Florida last week before heading to southeastern Georgia, where flooding trapped people in their homes. The report also estimated about $500 million in losses to the National Flood Insurance Program. Well, I have a guest that I want to talk to about that. Uh, uh, Mr. Woodard, are you there on the phone with me? Yes, sir. I hey, am. Brent Woodard, thank you so much. I know you're the owner of Real Native Fishing Charters uh, in Horseshoe uh, Beach. Um, I know that you have had to work to recover, and I know that you couldn't join me uh, via uh, video, but I'm glad to have you on the phone. Can I ask you, Mr. Woodard, how is your business, how was your business impacted by the storm, and what are you doing now to recover? Um, so far, we're getting uh, several cancellations. I had probably... Uh, three or four trips booked throughout the week that we had to cancel. And, and you can't blame anybody for that. Nobody wants to come down here and sit in the Florida heat without no AC and, and all that good stuff. And as far as trying to recover, it's just getting everything back going again, getting the power up and running and uh, places, you know, where people can stay and, uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, it, it, does it look like power is being restored in your area? We just played a soundbite from Governor DeSantis talking about how crews have continued to work around the clock and how many of the customers have had their power restored. 
Yes, sir. Directly in my area, it has uh, Horseshoe Beach. Uh, I know they're bringing in more generators today. And um, like I said, I think they're trying to get it up. I, I, I foresee the week, uh, you know, the end of the week, everything pretty much being up and going around there as far as the as far as electricity goes. And the, the, the damage is one thing. You can deal with that, I'm guessing. But what you're saying is, Nick, I need the air back on so the customers will actually want to book trips and do things and not sit in the heat, correct? They got to sit in the heat with me all day <laughs> out there fishing, and uh, they, they don't want to go home and sit in it either. I got you. Now, are you concerned about your livelihood as the storm, uh, since the storm hit that area? Or are you like, Nick, this is a short time. We've done this before. We have a plan. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. Um, we've done this before. Like I said, we had a bad one in 2016, I believe it was, but nothing to this magnitude. And I mean, the surge is what did the, the damage here. Um, I mean, we had high winds and everything, nothing like Perry. Perry is what received the winds. It was all surge here. And, um, I mean, it's definitely the worst I've ever seen in my life. So I'm right. definitely concerned. Yeah, okay, Brett, let me ask you, because I, I do want to make sure people at home understand. Brett, what is it like in Horseshoe, and have you received what you believe to be the right kind of support in navigating this time? Yes, sir. It, it, I think it's it's pretty devastating. Like I said, there's a lot of a lot of places that were not on stilts, and uh, that wasn't high enough. They're, they're pretty much gone. Um, and as far as support goes, the, the locals have really came through, and... Um, with the donations and everything coming through. It's just been, it's been pretty amazing to see. Brett, I know that part of the challenge was you couldn't do video with us because of the limited resources there, but you still took the time to speak with us, and I want to let you know how much we appreciate that. But what is it that you want viewers who are watching the program to learn uh, from this interview? Because, you know, many of us aren't, aren't there in Florida. What can we do? What do you want to be the takeaway? Um, I think the takeaway would be uh, if, if you're planning a trip or have been planning a trip to Florida in the near future, um, don't forget about Little Horseshoe Beach. I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's going to continue to be a beautiful place. It's going to continue to be a place where you can come and catch fish, bring the family, and all that stuff. It just might take us a month or two to uh, get up and get running. Well, I tell you what, Brent, if you're telling me that you're going to take me out there in that boat and you're going to help me catch some big ones that I can brag about and post on Instagram, I'll see you in about a month. That's, bring it on, man. Bring it on. <laughs> Brent Woodard, thank you so much, and we are wishing you the best here from News Nation, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Now, I don't claim to be an expert, but, I, you know, I've been known to catch a fish or two, you know. <laughs> Give it some time. I tell you, there's a picture I posted on my Instagram page. You can always go to my Instagram at nicksmithnews.com. It's the same with X or formerly Twitter, Nick Smith News. Um, I, I, I don't change anything. Everything is Nick Smith News. Keep it simple. Keep it, you know, direct. Uh, but uh, on my Instagram, at Nick Smith News, uh, there's a picture that I had there of uh, Chris Cuomo and me. Uh, Chris uh, had gone fishing, and Chris had caught this, like, big 14-foot uh, uh, salmon or something there. And then I caught this little eight foot uh, 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 bluefin. Nope, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. It was actually, oh, come on, I just had this. Because again, I'm not, the, um, I'm, I'm not necessarily uh, the avid fisherman, but I go out on the boat with friends when I'm in Cape Cod and uh, they have a boat and my sister, uh, uh, she has a boat. So we go out and we do this whole thing. Uh, Tiffany loves it, and then she cooks up the t uh, the fish. Uh, and we always do this right at the 4th of July because on the 4th of July, she has a big blowout uh, 
taco with the fish that we've caught in the Cape. So mahi-mahi uh, and all this other fish that we have. So uh, Chris had had this big tuna or whatever. I think it was like 14. It was like ridiculously huge. Uh, but I had some like little four or five foot fish that I caught. And uh, he caught his, of course, I think somewhere uh, off of... Um, Long Island, and I was in Cape Cod, and I just put our pictures side by side in an Instagram post saying, okay, uh, clearly that's the way I need to be doing it. Uh, but I told, uh, I, I, I told, I was very clear when I spoke to Brent. I said, Brent, I'm coming, and you're going to help me catch a fish that is as large as Chris's so that I can have boasting rights. And he promised me that, uh, yeah, that will happen. So I just remember uh, him being clear that we need to uh, make sure that we continue to support communities uh, that are hit by some of these disasters. And I was serious when I told him, I'm going to come on down and I'm going to check them out. You know, there is a story this week that, ah, I just loved, loved, loved. And I said, it's also worth reflection. And it's also go worth going back and talking about and pointing people to it because uh, President Biden awarded the nation's highest military honor uh, the, um, to a Vietnam War helicopter pilot who was uh, responsible for completely disregarding a direct order. Um, retired Army Captain Larry Taylor, who is now 81 years old, flew his Cobra helicopter in a firefight to rescue four U.S. troops who were surrounded by the enemy in Vietnam. This is in 1968. Let me be very clear. <laughs> Cobra helicopters are not meant to zoom in and pick people up. This guy knew that his fellow soldiers were surrounded. They had called for help. There was He was the closest one. He took off middle of the night, had them send up, couldn't have them send, excuse me, could not have them send up flares because he's like, if you send up a flare, the enemy's going to know where you are. So they had to do a quick radio transmission. He swoops in. The guys hold on to the legs of the helicopter and he lifts them out. Well, President Biden had an opportunity to reflect on his story and award him the military's highest medal. Um, and again, this is President Biden awarding retired Army Captain Larry Taylor. They're inspired by his story, and they will be. But how, by how he refused to give up, refused to leave a fellow American behind, refused to put his own life above the lives of others in need. When duty called, Larry did everything, did everything to answer. Love it. Captain Taylor, sir, thank you for your service. Love it. Uh, going to close out on one that I think you have to just, uh, you're going to have to go to our website to look at some of these because I think it's just uh, a lot. This, uh, I spoke with the guy who is um, the uh, editor for the Guinness World Records, uh, they're launching the uh, 2024 version this year, this week. Uh, the Guinness Book of World Records for 2024 launches, and uh, Craig Glenday uh, is one of the editors, and he just shared with us this morning uh, a few of the world records uh, that you will discover in the book. Um, now, they pride themselves on many 
never be seen, never before seen things. And some of them are just over the top, literally. So you've seen me, you know me. What if I told you that one of the people who is recognized in the 2024 Guinness Book of World Records has an Afro that made it into the Guinness Book of World Records. Why? Oh, because it's that big. That Afro is literally that big. Here's my interview with Craig. All right, welcome back to Morning in America. Thousands of people who have out-of-this-world talent strive to make it into one of the most recognized books in the world. You'll see everything from the strongest to the strangest to unique talents you've never witnessed. And you can find it compiled in one place, the Guinness Book of World Records, the new 2024 edition of which launches today. Here to give us a sneak peek is the editor-in-chief, Craig Glenday. Craig, today is the global launch for next year's book. What are some of the most exceptional entries you can tell us about here on Morning in America? Well, I have to say thank you to our American record claimants because we have some fantastic records this year. Um, we have a new largest Afro. This is from Amir Menendez of California. This is an Afro, which is it's so big. If you imagine this, it's, you know, around here, it's eight to eight inches. It's, it's like over seven foot in circumference of hair. Uh, we have another hair record. Tammy Manis of Knoxville is the first person ever to hold a record for having the longest mullet. So the mullet hairstyle has become very fashionable again. Uh, and she appears in the book, which her mullet is five foot eight inches in length. Um, the male record is only 3.3 foot in, long, in length. So, you know, this is a new category. Here, here's um, some of the great animals we have. This is um, in our, from our animal section, Tommy the Steer, one of our favorite record holders. I mean, look at the size of it. This is a beautiful, purebred alpine dairy cow who is such the most gentle, sweetest soul um, and in fact, has become a family pet, so he's not being used on the farm for anything. Wow. Just looked after by the family. He he's is enormous. absolutely giant. I'm looking at. I'm looking at him. So six foot one is his height. Six foot one. That's to the wither. So yes, the average of three measurements taken by a vet. Uh, you measure from the the floor to the the, the withers, which is the shoulders. Yeah, it's six foot one. So what a beast! But the gentlest of giants. You know, eats a hundred pounds of food a day, <laughs> not including all the apples. He's learned to headbutt the local apple trees. And as he headbutts the trees, they get showered in apples and he eats even more. So he's a beautiful creature, isn't he? Craig, one of the more extraordinary talents is the equestrian gymnast. Uh, explain to us what she's doing, because we want to watch this video. Oh yeah, this is a Amanda Stalso of Denmark. This is, a, this is new to me, this sport, but it's called equestrian vaulting. And basically, you have a limited number of seconds in which to basically do as many gymnastic uh, moves as possible. Here is one. She's doing standing jumps. You get 30 seconds to do standing jumps. Uh, she managed a 13 uh, in 30 seconds. And also scissoring. So you do a scissor transition where you switch your legs backwards and forwards uh, either side of the horse. So what's great is that this is a brand new sport for us. We've never mentioned equestrian vaulting before. 
Uh, but it's such a dramatic and exciting new sport. We just have to have it in the book. I don't even want to know what practicing that sport is like, particularly for guys who may be interested in it. Craig Glenday, yeah. thank you so much for joining us this morning. And we know that you can pick up a copy of the 2024 Guinness Book of World Records online or in stores starting today. I love stuff like this because it's just a lot of fun. And uh, again, you'll have to go to our website to actually see the acrobats being performed, the acrobatic feats being performed while riding horseback. Yeah, no. Uh, at one point, the gymnast flips upside down and does a full split on the back of the horse. Uh, yeah, no, that looks ridiculously uncomfortable, uh, to say the least. And my question is, how do you practice that and practice it well? Well, clearly, when you do, you make it into the Guinness Book of World Records. Hello, because that's exactly what happened here. Listen, these are some of the things I think are just so much fun. I love it. Keep the story ideas coming. I am seeing your emails. I love that. You know, I love hearing from you and I love the feedback. You guys, each week, I hope to bring you some of the stories that just stand out to me. And these were some of the stories this week that I thought would leave a smile on your face. I'll see you again soon. Don't forget, you can watch me and my Morning in America family on News Nation weekdays starting at 6 a.m. in the East, 5 a.m. Central. And if you don't know where to catch us, you can always go to www.joinnn.com. You'll see a drop down box. That's where you enter your zip code, and the channel finder will show you the broadcast channel in your area. But we're also on all the streamers Hulu, Roku, YouTube TV, as well as Amazon Alexa and Apple CarPlay. This is Nick Smith, and thanks so much for joining me for this edition of In the Mix with Nick Smith. <laughs>